sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Uh, you're stuck with me for this session of Freedom's Ring. I'm calling it Vaccine Mandates and the Mark of the Beast. There are a number of us who have likened the coercive elements of vaccine mandates to the apocalyptic passage where people can't buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast. Well, I have always been taught that the way you understand counterfeits is by studying the genuine, not by studying the counterfeit. I start with the premise that vaccine mandates, whatever you think of them, are not the mark of the beast and not even close. But what I want to do with the short time we have is some clear thinking about what the mark of the beast is a counterfeit of. You may recall in the passage that the mark is received in the forehead or in the hand. For most Christians who aren't in the habit of really connecting Scripture with Scripture, that may seem to come out of nowhere, but it doesn't. It has a precedent in the Torah, in the books of Moses. Three times in the books of Moses, in the five uh, books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five times the Bible records God's command to Israel to place his law, his instruction, in the forehead and in the hand. The mark of the beast is a counterfeit of the genuine. The Jews call it phylacteries. And the custom that has developed from that command is to take little Torah scrolls and put them in little boxes and wrap those boxes literally on the forehead and the hand, and to do that during morning and evening prayer and, and such like that. So let's take a look at those three times, because those three times give us insight into what it is that is being counterfeited. The first time is in Exodus 13. Israel is in the desert. They have just experienced the Passover, the slaying of the firstborn. They have left the inhabited portion of Egypt, but they're not out of the expression, out of the woods. They're not out of the desert yet. They haven't crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is in hot pursuit. Their deliverance is not yet complete. And God tells them that in the future they will teach their children, they will bind this experience of the Passover, the, the, uh, the teaching about it, in the forehead and the hand, and they will remember that God delivered them from Egypt. And not just remember what God did in history, because the Passover is a story of redemption for all of us. And I think the rabbis have this part right when they developed the annual remembrance of the Passover. It is something that God does for us. He delivered you and I from Egypt, not just people thousands of years ago. So the genuine binding of God's teaching in the forehead and the hand is a remembrance of salvation. It's a remembrance of redemption, of what God does for me. 
And I dare say it's not something we can do for ourselves. As Protestants, we understand that salvation is entirely by the grace of God through the merits of Jesus Christ and his righteousness, and it's not by works of faith, even though faith requires works. So, by contrast, the mark of the beast, we have a false counterfeit of redemption. And today, commonly in our country, we see a counterfeit of redemption. We see a religious political movement quite intending to save America. And there is a, a whole series of rallies at megachurches around the country called Save America. And you have another series of rallies with very prominent speakers calling for one religion called uh, Reclaiming America. So the focus is not on saving of individual souls. The focus is on saving the nation. Now, I think that this is very consistent with the text of Revelation 13, the Mark of the Beast passage, because it speaks of requiring everyone to worship the beast and its image. There are two two beasts, if you will, in Revelation 13. There's a first beast and a second beast. The second beast forms an image or becomes like the first beast. In prophecy, it has long been accepted and understood by Protestants that beasts represent nations or empires. And the worship of anything or anyone but God, very plainly, is idolatry. We're called to worship the Creator, to worship the Almighty God, and Him alone shall you serve, right? So the mark of the beast is an idolatrous worship of a nation or empire, or a subsequent nation or empire that becomes an image of the first one. I hope you're staying with me here. Well, the idolatrous worship of a nation is really patriotism, taken to an idolatrous extreme. And it's putting the emphasis on the country rather than an emphasis on God and on our relationship to God. Now, I know everybody likes to uh, uh, associate everything that they want to criticize with Nazi Germany. And so I invoke the Nazi experience at considerable risk. But you know that both in the First and Second World Wars, Germany was quite upfront about believing that God was with us or with them. Karl Barth, the famous theologian, observed after World War I that Germany, England, and France all insisted that God was on their side. I note with pride that Abraham Lincoln, when he was asked whether God was on the side of the North, he responded that he did not know, but he hoped and prayed that the North was on the side of God. Later, in his second inaugural address, which I frequently recommend to people to read, it never fails to bring a deep well of emotion with me. It's, it's so powerful. But he observes that the Civil War was God's judgment on both the North and the South. He did not feel inclined to condemn the South any more than the North. I think it's dangerous for us to put, as Christians, 
to put more emphasis on politics and on the nation than we do on faithfulness. I think there's a dramatic contrast between the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and what we see in the modern culture war battles that the Christian community is fighting here in America. After all, Jesus did not say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after political power. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Well, I said the first place that the Mark of the Beast counterfeits is in Exodus. It's the story of redemption, delivery from slavery, bondage in Egypt to redemption in the promised land. And the desire to bring the promised land by human effort is itself an idolatrous effort. In the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar has an, a dream. Daniel gives him the interpretation of the dream of an image with a head of gold and, and chest of bronze and representing the, the kingdoms and the empires of this earth, beginning with Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And then in the dream, Daniel says, you saw a stone cut out without human hands that destroys and, and breaks into pieces all of these kingdoms and establishes a kingdom that will never be destroyed. The kingdom of God in this vision, in this dream, is established by God alone, without any help from you and me. We don't establish the kingdom. We don't get to rule in his name. Jesus' disciples wanted to rule. They wanted to sit at the right and the left hand of God, and they were denied that. What they were given instead was the dunamis, the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses to Judea and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we are left with that power today, the power of God's grace, the power to convince an unbelieving, idolatrous, unfaithful world that Jesus is Lord and Savior. There is power in the gospel, isn't there? And that's the only power that we really need if we want to make a difference in this world. The second and third places in the Torah where Jews are required to put God's law on the forehead and hand are found in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 is a central passage in the Jewish worship service. It's called the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. And these words which I command you this day, they shall be on your lips, and you shall teach them to your children when you rise up, when you lie down, when you walk by the way. Bind them as a sign on the doorposts of your house, on your forehead, and on your hand. What is that about? And that's repeated in Deuteronomy 11. It's really about putting the emphasis on our relationship to God. We belong to him. He belongs to us. We are blessed to be able to enjoy an intimate relationship with the almighty creator of the universe. And do we really require anything further? And if we enjoy that relationship, there will be power in our witness, power in our relationships with others, because we acknowledge who God is, and we know we belong to him. And the peace that passes all understanding that God gives to us will have power 
to awaken others to a desire for that same peace. So the true that the mark of the beast counterfeits is a truth about redemption. It's a truth about who God is and who we are in relationship to God. And all of this is at the heart of the counterfeit. So dare I say that when people want to liken the argument over vaccine mandates to the mark of the beast, they betray a grave ignorance about what the mark of the beast is all about. Now, Jesus himself warned in his own apocalyptic sermon that even the very elect are capable of being deceived. There will be so many coming in Jesus' name and false messiahs, false Christs, as to deceive, if possible, even those of us who do love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and might. So I think we need to keep in mind that Jesus says deception comes in his own name. Many will come in my name and deceive many. Not all of those who say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus concludes in his Sermon on the Mount. And so we too need to have a healthy skepticism about what passes for religion and make sure that our emphasis really is on a, a personal relationship with Christ through faith, on worship of God alone, and not allowing any substitutes, any idolatry to creep into our lives. Well, I forgot to look at the clock, folks. I think I pretty well covered it. Keep your eyes on the true, and you won't have to worry about the false. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Rynock. Until next week, let freedom ring. Thank you.